join me as we go to the Lord in praise. All around us there are troubles, there are trials round every turn. Though that cold wind won't stop blowing, there's a fire in my bones. And it keeps me going, keeps me going, keeps me going on. The joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. That sweet melody in my soul all day long. Whatever that comes, I just keep going on. Cause the joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. Till the trumpet sounds and the bells are ringing. Till he calls me home. No, I won't stop singing. For every question, there's an answer. For every problem, there's a prayer. But greater is He that lives within me than all the trouble here in this world. The joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. That sweet melody in my soul all day long. No matter what comes, I just keep going on. Cause the joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. The joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. That sweet melody in my soul all day long. No matter what comes, I just keep going on. Cause the joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. Sing, I got that joy. I got that joy down in my soul. I got that joy, joy of the Lord. Come on, let's hear it. I got that joy down in my soul. I got that joy, joy of the Lord. One more time, I've got, I've got that joy down in my soul. I've got that joy, joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. That sweet melody in my soul all day long. No matter what comes out. And the bells are ringing till he calls me home. No, I won't stop singing. Give him a hand clap of praise. You have joy this morning.
Nearer to our Lord. Amen. That's the whole walk of this Christian life is to draw nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and then in death being with Him. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope. It's that one day this world, this life will be over and to be with our Christ, our Lord, forever but just like two sides of a coin what our blessed hope is all those who are found outside of Christ they have no hope for just as our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone so our hope lies turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 14 We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Bless the remainder of this service. <clears throat> and start what is Christ's passion. We've been in Passion Week we, since the, the triumphant entry. It's what history of the church is called the Passion of Christ. And, but this is Christ's passion, the crucifixion. This starts this. Chapter 15 is coming. The Word of God reads in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1, says, Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and 
whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, whoever or wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will always be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Lord, as we gather in your name, O oh God, in this place, Lord, gathered together as a body of believers in our local assembly, Lord, I ask that you move just as you have in the first part of this service, Lord, move in the latter part. As we break open your word, Lord, help us to understand what you say to us. Lord, as we begin to look at your passion, help us, O oh God, to understand what you did for us. Lord, not that we don't know, but that we desire to know deeper. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for standing. We have come a long way since January of 2022. We have been building all the way up to this point. From this point on, this is why the Gospels are written. To show us what our Lord did for us on Calvary. Amen. It has to start somewhere and some could say, well, the Bible says that it started before the foundations of the world in eternity past. Christ was given to us as a lamb led to the slaughter. That while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. That when we were sinners, He called us friends. All of us who have come to faith through Christ understand the crucifixion. You have to understand what Christ has done, what God has done for us, and that is what changed your heart. That's what the Bible says. If it wasn't for the cross, there would be no hope this morning. We begin in chapter 14, and all through chapter 14 and chapter 15 will be the last few days of Christ's life on this earth. We know that He lives forevermore, that's not what I'm saying, but Christ died for your sins. He died for my sins. God laid down His life so that we may live we hear that this morning, uh, the, us who are saved, and what joy it brings to our heart, what glory we give to God for what He'd done for us on the cross, but for a world at large, they do not care. If I could this morning preach under a title with eyes wide open. We have two people that we read in our passage. One, a woman we know from the other Gospels, that being Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who was resurrected. And we have Judas, 
I found it funny, Miss Eddie, how we start Christ's passion and it begins with a group that hate Him and a betrayer who lived with Him. But in Mark's way, we have one of those great Marquine sandwiches where while there is a group that is betraying Christ, money is exchanged, a vow is made, I will give you this man at an opportune time, we have this woman. While Christ is being betrayed with eyes wide open, He's being honored with eyes wide open as well. What's the difference this morning? Well, that's what we're going to look at. Remain with your Bibles open. We, we're not going to leave Mark this morning. Today we look at two accounts, both of gifts. Uh, one account shows us a, a gift given, and the other of one received. One from a woman to Jesus the other to a disciple from the enemy of Christ. I want us to look at the woman's gift first and at the boldness of this gift. And I want us this morning to keep in our mind what is Christ worth to you? Is He worth everything this morning? What is Christ worth to you, make this personal this morning. This isn't a story of Mary and Judas this morning. This is a story that each and every one of us had to fall on one side or the other. Christ either become the most worthy being in your life, or you've betrayed Him for something else. So let's look at the boldness of the gift first with Mary. Where we left off last week, Jesus was finishing His discourse on His second coming. The day would be Wednesday, the twelfth day of the month, Nassim. And chapter 14 begins the telling of our Savior's passion. As His enemies conspire to end Him, we find Jesus at the home of Simon the leper having dinner. A curious way to identify Simon... Surely we can look back to the earlier chapters of Mark and realize that a leper was outside of the camp. They, they didn't have a home. They didn't have thing, let alone they wouldn't have held a dinner party. So Simon the leper wasn't a current leper. He was most likely a leper healed by Jesus. Being able to enter the camp once again, being able to come home, being able to invite his friends and family, being able to go to the rabbi, the one who healed him, and say, come and dine with me, sup with me. Surely this is a, a means of gratitude, of, of thankfulness. Come, let me give you just something. Let me do something for you. Let me cook you a meal. So he's reclined at the table of Simon the leper and Almost certainly this would not have been a small dinner if you just ate Christ and His twelve disciples. There's quite a few people here. Then we have Simon, and if, Simon, if Mrs. Simon was there, and little Simons, and, and you, you get, there's at least 15 people here, probably more than that. 
This is a big deal. This isn't done in secret, right? This, this, is, this is a occasion. This is a good thing. At some point during the meal, a, a, an unnamed woman in Mark, Matthew and Mark being one of the two uh, earliest Gospels written, uh, later Gospels disclosed names that Mark and Matthew didn't, uh, just because of the times. They, they were trying to protect the family, and, and, and you, we would have known these people, and by the time Luke and John come around, there's no need to protect names because this family would have most likely been martyred. So we have an unnamed woman. We know that this woman is, is Mary through John's account. We have Jesus and his disciples. They follow him everywhere. And at some point during the meal, she comes and she would have been known by those present in the occasion. And Mark doesn't give us her name. As Jesus and the other enjoy their food, Mary was turning over in her mind what she was about to do. This wasn't an, an impulse. The gift that she's about to break and pour onto Jesus' head is a, is a gift of great value. It took premeditation. It took a decision being made beforehand to do this deed. This isn't something that you just impulsed and did. That's the, that's the message of this morning. Both Mary and Judas acted on decisions that they made with eyes wide open. They understood what they were doing. One honored Christ, one betrayed Christ. Where are you this morning? People in your life that you witness to, that you live out your life to, where are they this morning? What are they doing with the information that they have? Surely this was no impulsive act. She put considerable thought into it. She had to have. Jesus has repeatedly told His disciples that He's, he's going to die. How many times have we done been through that? He, every time it seems like He got Him and His disciples along, the first thing that come out of Christ's mouth was, I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem. I mean, it remembers whenever He turned His focus from Galilee to the south, to Jerusalem, it means to go to His passion. They've heard it over and over and over again, and no doubt Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, those who Christ loved, has heard this same thing. I don't believe Christ changed His tone or changed His message by the people He was around. He come to say one thing. He come to do one thing. He stands before Pilate and he says, For this reason, I was born. He's repeatedly told them that he's about to die. And his disciples don't seem to grasp it, whether they want to fully understand or they don't want to understand. But she wants to do something about it. With her eyes wide open, she comes up with the idea of anointing Jesus' body for His burial, no doubt led by the unction of the Spirit upon her. She waits and finds an opportune moment while Jesus is reclining at the table. She pulls out an alabaster flask 
and anoints the head, breaking the bottle. Other Gospels say it was a pound of perfume, so 16 ounces of perfume. Anybody that ever bought perfume, you, you buy like an ounce or less, especially if it's, if it's pure perfume. It, it, it's quite costly even today for us to, to take a flower and, and perfume it down. I guess I should have seen how perfume was made, but you take a rose and then somehow or another you've got a, a fragrance that smells like a rose, right? And, and you have difference. You have imposter perfumes that mimic the smell and then you have those that come from the pure source. This was pure nard. It was a flower and it was very expensive to hold, to have. This was a custom in Jewish time. There wasn't showers. There wasn't baths all the time. Men and women would come from the road and, and the custom was to bring them into your house and to show them hospitality and to feed them and, and to allow them to relax. And people or people just like we are today go a few days without a shower and then sit down at the table and somebody is going to do exactly what my wife is doing right now, snarl their nose. So the custom was to show hospitality. One of the first things you've done as to own a house was you, you went and got perfume and when somebody would come in from the road, you would freshen them up. Put a few drops on them. Not only to show hospitality to them, but to also make your house smell a little better. There's a lot of people in here. But she does something drastic. She doesn't just spin the customary few drops on the master, she breaks the bottle and she pours from his head down to his feet. The Word of God says that it was worth over 300 denarii by the people around taking a guesstimate. A denarius was a man's wage for a day, 300. They didn't work on the Sabbath, so six days a week. It's a little over a year's worth of wages And the scripture says that by the criticizing of the guests, she wasted it. So Mary's given Jesus what was likely the most expensive gift that she would have owned. This was used for more than just the customary, a few dabs will do you to make your guests smell good. Coming from Mary specifically, this was... A gift set aside for the day of her wedding. She would have used this to prepare herself as she adorned the wedding garment. She would have prepared herself to be received by her bridegroom. And she gives this to Christ. The most expensive thing that Mary had and I can see in my mind her thinking this isn't enough. It's not enough, but it's what I have. Christ knows the intent of our heart. How many knows that? How many sing that through the Word? He looks at Mary as she's being scolded by those around, and He says, stop it. She's done what she could. He looked into Mary that day, and He seen that she wished she could do more but she gave what she had 
thank God that Jesus is personal and He sees us. That even whenever I fall short of my own expectations at glorifying Him, He knows that the intent of my heart is pure. By His righteousness that He's given us. She's met with disappointing looks, with critical words. Rather than affirming her, the dinner guests condemn her. And then they engage in something, this is crazy, if you look, they, they engage in a, one if, a what if game. Well, if she wouldn't have done this for Jesus, we could have sold it. If she would have just gave it to the ministry, right? We, we could have sold it for over a year's worth of wages. We could have done a lot of good with that. They're, they're in a, a, a what if scenario, not even understanding what's happening right in front of their eyes. A philosophical debate. That's what they're in. The other Gospels tell us that it's, it's Judas who initiates this. He, he owns the money bag and he's looking at that gift and he goes, man, that would have been a lot of money. We could have put that in our bag and then I could have stole it later. Go and read the account of the other Gospels. We, we just don't have time today. Wouldn't it have been better, he said, they said? Wouldn't it have been better to just let us figure out what to do with your gift? But that's not what Mary's intent was. Her eyes were wide open and fixed on Christ. Jesus says this when he affirms her and he says, She's done what she can, the poor you have always. In other words, you're going to have time to deal with life. You're going to have time to deal with what happens around here. He wasn't saying that the poor aren't worthy, because they are. That's literally part of what we do as Christians, to take care of the poor and the widow, right? But what Christ is saying is, I'm above the poor, I'm above everyone else. There's going to come a time when you have the poor and they're ever in front of you, and your discipleship, your cleansing, your... Uh, your preaching, your living my life out in front of them, that time is coming, but my time is short. He said the same thing when the Pharisees come and said, why don't your disciples fast? Right? And he said, why would, why would you mourn when the bridegroom is with them? Their time for fasting will come. Their time for mourning will come. And he's doing the same thing here. He's saying, that time for doing that good is coming. She's done what God's sovereign will has ordained to happen. For these dinner guests, nothing was, was quite ever good enough. We, we see the bickering back and forth in the apostles even today. They had a critical spirit. They, they had the yeah, but people. Right? How many has ever... Been, we've all been that person too, if we're honest. That's all fine and dandy, but we could have did this, that, and the, the other. You know, y'all made a good choice. Y'all did this, y'all did that. But we could have done it this way or that way. You see a lot of those in a workplace, right? Where, where you, you're supposed to make uh, choices and decisions, and, and, and sometimes you just can't make the right one. And, 
and they're like, yeah, that was good, but you could have did it this way. Or you do the exact same thing they tell you to do. I've been, I've been there. But then whenever they're looking outside coming in, they're like, well, that could have been done a different way, right? Let us make sure that we're not the yeah, but people. Yeah, that was good, but it could have been, it could have been better. They take a, a beautiful act of devotion and they find something wrong with it. That's what these, these people did. We need to be careful that we don't follow their example. <laughs> First, of course, in not criticizing, criticizing others, but also not criticizing the Spirit's work. It, it was Mary that was doing this, but she was unctioned to do this. This had to be done. His burial was coming. His death was coming. Mary was a means for the Spirit to work out God's perfect and sovereign will. And that's all we can ever hope to be, is to be a vessel, a conduit for God's Spirit to work in this world. That's, that's what my desire is. Mary, with her eyes fixed on Jesus, could see clearly. Her heart had been changed. She felt God moving on her and she yielded to Him. If we could live like that, then we have the praise of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't share in the assessment of the situation. They see it a certain way, Christ sees it another way. an interesting way of phrasing it that she had done all that she could the dinner guests want to imagine all the good things that that could have come out of the costly gift and, and but jesus praises her for what she did do See, we could sit around and we can play the what if game and we can imagine all these good things that could come out of us but unless we don't get up and do Something. The Bible says that we have done nothing. We can think of all the good things to do, but if we never get out and act upon the love that's in us, 1 Corinthians 13, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Because if you don't, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You're just somebody spitting off good things. Sometimes we become paralyzed analyzing all the ways that we could do better. Christ isn't looking for perfection. He is perfection. He's looking for a willing vessel who will submit to His will and His ways and do the commandments that He has told us to do. Perfection comes later. We have, a, we have a, a way of looking into the future and going, I will be perfect, you know, I will be glorified, so I can, I can achieve that perfection here. That's not what the Word of God says. We will never be perfect here, even though some of us get really close. That was a joke. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect. We've set ourselves up for failure to think that I can achieve perfection. 
What I need to have in my mind is to achieve Christ. He is perfection. We become paralyzed sometimes just analyzing the things and not doing any of them. As the result, it's often, oftentimes we do nothing at all. We spin our wheels and go nowhere. Mary knew she wanted to do all that she could. She looked at Christ and she seen His worth and she understood even in her feebleness of her own corrupt mind that He deserves everything, but all I have is this box. And she gave it to Him. Concerning the object that the ointment was wasted on Jesus, the objection, it should have been given to the poor. Jesus asserts His preeminence over mankind, over creation. He is above creation. Serve Him, and what comes out of that service is service to the poor, is love for fellow man, is a life saying, you're a Christian. And showing that with the fruit. She prepares his body for burial. And Jesus is so pleased with what she's done that he says, what, whenever the gospel is preached, we're doing it this morning. This woman is honored this morning because she gave what she had. No other religion in this world honors women like Christianity does. The, the world wants to twist that it, and say that it's man-driven and it's, it's demeaning of women. But here we have Christ, the Son of God, the second in the Trinity, saying that whenever the Bible is open to Mark chapter 14, this woman is going to be honored. Not only that, whenever you open the Bible to Matthew, and you open the Bible to Luke, and you open the Bible to John, she's going to be honored. Not because of what she did, but because of who she submitted to. This promise is fulfilled, as Mark includes, includes this story in his gospel, is fulfilled today, as we declare her name. Mary, with eyes wide open, did what she could. Can we, say, can we at least say that about ourselves? With our eyes fixed on Christ, I do what I can. Even though I know it's not enough. Let's do what we can. Because what we have now is the, the treachery of Judas. His eyes were open too. Mark begins chapter 14 by recounting Judas' betrayal of Jesus. In this Marquine sandwich, we have the upper echelon of Judaism wanting to kill God, wanting to kill the Son of God, wanting to take care of this Jesus. They didn't want to do it in the festival. God's sovereign will is going to have them do it in the middle of the festival at the hour that the festival was even being put on. We'll get to that. Judas now wants to betray Christ. His mind is made up. 
He's been contemplating this before, and his mind is made up, and with his eyes open, he goes and he seeks those who want to kill Jesus. Both Mary and Judas have eyes wide open to who Jesus is. Mary sees Jesus as the Son of God, as her Savior. Judas sees Jesus as this Messiah King who is saying, I'm not going to fulfill my kingship. The gravy train is running dry. The money is now stopping. Mary sees Jesus with spiritually opened eyes, able to see Him as Lord. Therefore, she's willing to do anything and spill out her most precious possessions, showing her true devotion to God. Judas, with his eyes open, but he's spiritually blind. He sees only in his fallen nature. He sees Judas as a soon to be king. He sees Jesus as a soon to be king, and the moment he sees that the money train is going to run dry, he leaves to seek a means to recoup his losses. He just lost a year's wages that he could have gleaned from the money bag. Now the where we left off in eleven says, and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. The, the, the original language there is at a convenient time. He wouldn't even go out of his way to betray Jesus. When it convenienced him, he would bring Jesus to the Jews. How much is Christ worth to you? Is he worth your time? Is He worth your possessions? Is He worth your life? To Mary, He was. To Judas, He wasn't. The one on the inside, see, He was a disciple. Mark calls Him that in 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one who was of the twelve, not just a disciple. He was in the inner circle. He was of the twelve. He was one of those. The one on the inside is the one you would expect to be faithful, but here it's the outsider, the one who isn't of the twelve, the one who isn't with Christ always, who's found faithful. And the insider is the one who's unfaithful. Mark explicitly tells that Judas is one of the twelve in that he went to the chief priest in order to betray him. Just as Jesus was earlier pleased with the woman's act of devotion, so the chief priests are glad when they see Judas. Who's looking at you with a pleasing look? Is it the world? When they see you, are they glad? Or is it your God? It don't get no bigger of a contrast here, folks. Nobody wants to be a Judas. But here's the thing. Every one of the twelve betrayed Christ. Every single one of them. The difference is one did it with his eyes open. One did it with a premeditated, I'm going to do this action. 
The other 11, various reasons, acts of passion, folded in the moment, redeemable. The woman made her mind up as to what she would do and found her opportunity at the dinner table. Now Judas is, has made his mind up and he, all he lacks is an opportunity, a convenience, a convenient time. Remember that question, what is Christ worth? This last thing, Mary's gift costs 300 denarii, equal to a year's wages today. In Louisiana, and I thought this number was way higher than it needs to be, the average yearly wage is $50,935. You have to take it up with the governor if that's not where you fall. I know I will be putting my letter in the mail. If you want to sign your name at the bottom, that'll be fine. $51,000, that's a year's, roughly a year's wage in Louisiana. Judas, indignant, at the loss of this potential earning, agrees to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's what our other Gospels tell us. They give us the details that he went from this moment and sought to betray Christ, and they agreed on 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. What was Christ worth to a Judas? A mere slave. $440 in the silver market today. Mary, quote-unquote, wasted, according to Judas, $51,000 worth of perfume. But then Judas turned around and sold Christ for $440. That wasn't a waste. That was comparable. That was good enough. Judas, with his eyes fully open to what he was doing, scoffed at Mary's gift and it was too much of a cost. It was a waste. It was a waste. Mary wished that she could do more. But she did what she could. Judas wanted more. But settled for what he could. For less than 1% of what Mary's gift cost, Judas betrayed God in the flesh. How ignorant we are in our flesh. Mary wanted to give and know she could not give enough. Judas wanted to receive and settle for any amount. He didn't care. Mary seen Jesus with his unmeasurable worth Judas seen Jesus and chose what he thought was a worth see to Mary Christ was everything stand this morning to Judas he desired wealth wealth was everything wealth is what drove him and we like to harp on money because it's easy. None of us have a lot of it, so we could talk about it. But it very well could have been anything else. That's the thing. We can go to commandment number one 
And what are we commanded to do? Love our God and put nobody else in front of Him. Put no thing in front of Him. What's the difference between a Mary and a Judas, a Peter and a Judas, who who done the exact same sin, who betrayed? It was the worth of Christ to their life. Bow your heads this morning. Lord, we thank you. Lord, as we start into your passion in the following weeks, oh God, we thank you for the gift, the gift of life. Help us, oh God, to see the worth in that. Lord, to understand that the life that we live in you cost your death. The sin that we live in, even today, caused you to hang on a tree. Lord, for your word says that you, being sinless, was made sin for us. So that we may inherit the righteousness of you. Lord, that you bore our sin and now we bear your life. Help us to root this in the deepest parts of our soul. So that when we witness about you, Lord, that that's what comes out. Lord, that in your immense love, you laid your life down for us. We thank you, we honor you, and we praise you for that. Amen. Do we have...